yeah no but it, it's 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 been really great working on proud and um i really love all like the team that they put together but yeah. it, it's also just really cool just to um but but aside from that though like speak like we're excited to just have you on in general because like there just really needs to be more int- attention on to uh the black women that are in this industry that and that yeah. have been here mm-hmm. and like when you hit us up i was like oh snap she's been working on things that, from my childhood this is really cool yeah yeah, yeah. yeah one of which... the little elves in the background <laughs> Make, making yeah. that magic but, making that magic but who is our mysterious voice our second our third voice on here who who is this who are you Yes, please introduce, introduce yourself, yourself to our audience. Okay. Well, I'm Lynn Sutherland, and um, I guess now you'd call me a veteran of the animation end of our business. Um, I've been in animation since, I think, 1991, uh, and I came into it as an editor, uh, I was an editor on uh, Bebe's Kids. Oh, snap. <laughs> That's where I first met Bruce Smith. And um, uh, and as I like to playfully say, I'm, I'm so opinionated that by the end of the movie, I had become an associate producer on it. And um, wow, that's awesome, though. <laughs> that's really awesome. So I guess it's uh, I guess it speaks to it's good to speak up, even if, even when it's scary, do it. And, and and you know, perhaps it's also speaks to a little bit of typecasting in that both Bebe's kids and then uh, the next thing I did with Hyperion, I guess they called themselves Hyperion Studios. Mm-hmm. Um, who produced both Bebe's Kids and uh, the HBO Fairy Tales? They were both non-white projects, so it is it is a, a an example of oh maybe we should find you know some black people. Um, <laughs> obviously, Bruce was doing that. You know, at mm-hmm. he at coming in as the director went looking for that. Yeah, so that's that's kind of how I got into animation, which came through Hyperion. I had actually edited a live action horror picture for them, mm. and oh, got I didn't to know, know they were them. Doing that. <laughs> I thought got they did to... just animation. <laughs> no, they the uh, one of the partners uh, is a writer, and he wrote writes both animation and uh, live action. And um, I had actually met them when I was working on Throw Mama from the Train as an assistant editor. That is an interesting title. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever seen that? No, is that also a horror film? Oh, no, no, no. no. Well, it's kind of a um, satirical, it, it's a it's it's a a take on um, strangers on a train. Do you know that right. classic? Oh, right. Okay. It has it has um um oh man. <laughs> it has right um, yeah. It has uh, um, oh, man, why Ranger, I... and I yeah. can't think who 
I'm blanking on his name right yeah, now. Yeah, I'm blanking um, on his um, name right now. He's but short. He's, a... he's in Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Oh, oh, um, oh Charlie well, Danny DeVito. Danny yes. Oh, Danny DeVito. What did I Danny... say? Charlie Danny. That's a different person. Sorry. Danny, Danny, Danny DeVito directed it and starred oh, in it. Oh, that's with, right. Okay, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. With Billy Crystal. Oh, oh wow. That cast. But it's a, it's kind of a... Um, a new a new version of an old classic called Strangers on a Train. Yeah. And it's basically kind of a demented guy who wants to trade murders with a guy he meets on in in the original on a train in the um the version from the 80s it was um Danny is in Billy Crystal's writing class. Mm. And um, so he wants Billy Crystal to to kill his mother, thus right. throw Mama from the train. Oh, okay, um, that, that, oh, that makes yeah. sense. Okay. So anyway, if you haven't seen it, it's actually a fun movie. It's okay, a very right. fun movie. You should check okay. it out. But through that, I met uh, the owners of Hyperion Studios, uh, Tom Wilhite and Willard Carroll and worked with them on the low budget horror picture and then uh, got invited to come and work on um, Bebe's Kids. So, you know, I made that transition, so to speak, at that point. Um, and I walked in and I was amazed at how quiet it was. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Because even though, you know, I wasn't as an as an uh, an editor, I wasn't on a set where it's busy and whatever, it's still a, a busy kind of experience. And mm -hmm. so I come into an animation studio and everybody's got headsets on and they're just busy drawing. And it was like, wow, it's really quiet, you know. My first reaction. But uh, yeah, it, it, you know, I, I always think that you should have a sense of where you want to go. Like if you were taking a driving trip, you know, you're headed to the Grand Canyon, but along the way you see a sign and it says, hey, that could be interesting over there. So it, it you know, leaving myself open allowed me to make that step into animation so and then i i've worked in animation ever since was it was it kind of like a sort of a seamless transition from like editing in uh live action in the animation space like what differences did you see because i think um because you've done so much lynn you're actually the first person we've had that's had experience like as like like a like an editor on, on, our, yeah. on our show yeah it was different i don't think it's different I mean, it, of course, it's still different now, but it's closer to live action now. When mm -hmm. I first went into Bebe's Kids, it's my understanding that the way editing a film, sort of having come down from the Disney way, was there was an assistant director who would time out the length of shots and give that to editors to follow. And so coming in as a live action editor, that was very strange to me because obviously 
in live action, you're given the footage and you're you're expected to, uh, you know, make a take of it. Take your shot at how would you tell this story with this footage. Right. And so at at a certain point when I came to understand that, I went to Bruce and said, you know, that's not really how I'm used to working. I can do it that way, but I'm wondering if you would kind of take a step towards me and give it a shot. Like, let's try kind of the way it's done in live action. Mm. And so we were on film. So I asked, could we just print uh, five feet of every panel, every storyboard panel? And if I needed more, I would just, you know, use blank film to fill it in. And eventually we would, you know, duplicate whatever the shot was. So we did that and and Bruce immediately saw the flexibility of it. And that became how we cut Baby's Kids. Oh, okay, okay. And that is how things are cut now. And obviously you don't have to worry about the length of a shot because it's all digital. So you make it the length you need it to be now. But an editor takes that that storyboarded scene and they present a version. So it was, it at least for me, it was different when I first stepped in. Wow. That, yeah. When you said like, yeah, get like a certain footage of the story, but I was like, whoa, hold on a minute. Like real, like hold real film. Like, <laughs> yeah, I did get some film. goosebumps <laughs> thinking about it too. I was just like, oh my gosh, this sounds so difficult. <laughs> like, and boarding oh, on oh, paper. Yeah, like, <laughs> like, <laughs> and boarding on paper. And yeah. And remember, you know, when you're, when you're shooting on film, you know, it's costing you money to print right. things. So, so you have to be smart about it. Um, oh, right. You have to be so much so, more pragmatic. You know, but I have to say I did love touching the film. Oh, yeah. That has to be, yeah, such an interesting, like, just the tactileness of everything. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah. That's incredible. It, it, it took a while to get uh, to get used to not touching it anymore. But that also paralleled with me moving away from being an editor anyway. So I became a producer and and then I wasn't pushing the buttons or touching the film anymore anyway. Mm. As So did you transition into more of a producer role on Bebe's Kids specifically? Like when you were saying you had more opinions <laughs> that were being heard, like was that was that kind of the transitional um uh i i mean i would say it was a step mm. it was a, a baby's kids was a, a super collaborative experience so i'm just grateful that my voice could be part of that dialogue yeah um, like, there aren't that many like animated like like black anim- animated films well that are like more adult or well i don't know Baby's Kids is like a mix of like family and adult. Like it's not purely yes. for adults, but it's like also for the kids. Because I remember like that was on my TV all the time when I was little. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. It, uh, and that was, you know, that was one of the, the parts of the dance, right? That to, um, because obviously the, the uh, stand-up comedian, uh, Robin Harris, mm. you know, he, he would be bawdier in the telling of his Baby's Kids stories but 
if you were, we were making this to be, re be released through um, Paramount and they were looking for a family film. So you had to kind of try to find that way to keep the essence of Robin Harris's um, characters and his approach while also making it accessible to family. Right. So it was an interesting challenge. But, uh, but I would say <laughs> it's more that it showed Tom and Willard that I had the sensibilities to be a producer. Maybe that's what working on Bebe's Kids showed them. So then I think it was only like a year later, maybe maybe a little more, that um, uh, they offered me to produce the HBO fairy tales. And, and then I was literally, you know, kind of jumping in, you know, feet first, uh, never having done it before, carrying yeah. the full, you know, the full load of making sure this show gets, this uh, series gets made and is entertaining, et cetera. And uh, yeah, it was, it, it was an interesting journey, but a fabulous one. You know, we probably, it felt like we worked with just about every famous colored entertainer for that first season, you know, that we, I mean, there were a few white roles, but mostly it yeah, was, it was mostly Black people of color, Latino yeah, and mm -hmm. uh, um, and Asian people. We had a Native American show. I mean, it was just such a fabulous experience. Um, yeah, that was another one that was always on when I was little, and I I actually um got super excited when HBO Max dropped that it was going to be on there and I saw it there and I immediately watched an episode. I was like, this is my childhood. I need to watch all of these. <laughs> if I have kids, I need to make sure That's they right. watch it's this. It's on HBO Max. I have to watch it. Was, yeah, I didn't, just, like, didn't see anything like that before. It was like yeah. so amazing. Like yes. Goldilocks and the Three Bears and like they're Jamaican. Like what the heck? I remember that. Yeah. Like we are the best only no money. Yes. <laughs> and honey. Yeah, I remember yeah, that. It was so cool. Yeah, I, I remember, uh, man, because HBO, of course, was like one of those exclusive channels. So yes. you had to like have extra money to like watch it. But right. I had family members like I it, we didn't have it in our household, but our, we had family members that had it. So uh, we would always want to go over to, to our family, like my um my uh my aunt's house just to so you just could watch so, HBO. yeah exactly just yeah. to watch hbo just so we could like catch some of these shows on hbo and yes. like happily ever after was one of those shows it was just like oh this is so amazing like one of my favorites was the aladdin story because it it, it took the aladdin story from uh what popular culture know, knows it as as like this arabian nights and uh told it as a chinese story and yeah, I just I just found that so interesting. Like, oh, this is like a different cultural perspective of the story that uh, so many people know as being like so different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The King it, Midas it, uh, one too always stuck with me. Um, I don't remember who was King Midas. It was somebody. Um, 
Yeah, I I didn't work on the season that had King, uh, King Midas, but um, I I remember you know how interesting it was to think about how do we um, take those old stories and then once you once you anchor them in a culture, then how do you fully embrace that culture? Right. Yeah. You know, like, how do you make sure, um, I remember that a storyboard artist caught this, that a, um, I think it was, it might've been, been a Korean story. Um, but it, that actually doesn't matter. The point is the, the pagoda, the, the roof of the different cultures Mm -hmm. are expressed differently. Right. And a storyboard artist caught that the um, the way the roof, uh, the curls at the end of the roof were not in the right direction for that culture. Mm. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. But that's also cool, though, that like, you know, it, it was a place where people could speak up and be like, oh, yeah, make sure you get that right, because, you know, this is this is the appropriate way, not that one. And that's right. just that's really cool and that just speaks to like why when we have these stories that are of like of like a certain culture whether they're black asian whatever and the people themselves are not in the room that are able to catch that stuff that's when you that's get right. like that's, that's when right. you get like a big that's mess when, on screen exactly exactly and and obviously offend people in the process mm -hmm. because you didn't take that time to to get it right um yeah yeah it uh and in fact even even with um one of the exec producers was black is black um myself bruce certainly others on the team mm -hmm. that i think we were we were a good ways in let's say we were four episodes in and um, of, of whatever black stories we were telling. And uh, the EP, uh, Donna Guillaume, suddenly realized, I think we were looking at um, character designs for an episode. And she suddenly realized that we had made all the villains darker skinned. Mm. And mm. how how even within ourselves, how we take on the, um, uh, what's the right word? The mythologies created by the dominant group. Right. About ourselves. Right, yeah. Without, like it's without even realizing it. It's internalized. Thank you. That's yeah. what I was Yeah, like inter internalized colorism. Like, you know, we have to kind of look within ourselves as the black community to also like address that and be like, hey, wait a minute, hold on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. I didn't even realize I thought that way, you know, <laughs> and, um, and, you know, I think to this day, we'd all say, well, I don't think I do think that way, but in the representation, we were showing that somewhere inside we had internalized that. So it was, it was just a great wake up call to, you know, check everything, check yourself, be aware, you know, are you finding that, that balance? Mm -hmm. Um, and I just finished, 
directing a series called Super Sema, mm. um, which is on YouTube. And um, it, it takes place in a mythical African um, country in a way. Um, and at one point, because that lesson from the fairy tales has never left me, we're looking at all these black characters and I realized we were, it was not, there wasn't a good balance of the range of, you know, our, our, our color prism. Mm -hmm. um, and so I pointed that out to the EP and that way we then could, we lined everyone up and really looked at it because we want to represent the, the richness of who we are on that. Skin I just tone look level. super Sema up and this looks so adorable. Yeah. It's very, <laughs> I did this looks too. so cute. It looks it's super adorable. Very nice. Wait, y'all so, got Lupita in on this? What? Yeah. yeah. What? Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And, you know, the funny thing is, is I was supposed to spend last year in Italy, was animated in Italy. Mm -hmm. The um the the company making it Kukua is based in Nairobi, and uh, but the the studio animating it uh, is in uh, northern Italy, and uh, I was there for a month, and COVID happened, mm. so I had to come home. Oh wow! So we we I did it remotely uh, as we all were doing, right. Um, but uh, yeah, I missed out on my my year in Italy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that that we have to um, we can't presume that even within ourselves that we aren't we haven't taken on internalized uh, myths that have been perpetuated, you know, since we were kids. So right. it's it's it it just requires that extra. Um, awareness and sensitivity uh which then applies to anything you're working on no for yeah, sure right and, and I, I would say too that like i think we just also like need more stories with black characters period so that way like there ends up being that variety and ranges of of like colors with within our own group so that way we're not just suddenly being so that we're not like putting everybody with darker tones on one end and people with lighter tones on the other and like positive light and like darker skin tones or like negative so that way you can see like the ranges of people within black culture that exist and yes. that like and also just like not like black trauma stories because like we don't need those all the time <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> Like, that's not the only story that can be told from our perspective. And in a way, that's um, a residual effect, right? That we stay in, in trauma mode instead of, you know, here we are three Black people who have lived very different lives. And, mm -hmm. you know, do we have tr tr real trauma? You know, so how do we tell the, all those all the layers of who we are. I think that's one of the reasons I really like Craig of the Creek because mm. he's just a kid. Yes. Yeah. No, yeah. Craig was very refreshing. Um, we had, um, we had Jeff on, on season, season one. 
um of the podcast and he mm. talked to us about like working on craig and then you know being the head right well at the time i think he was just staff writer when we mm. recorded him right waymond yeah um and it was just like really refreshing to just talk about like the show and how like you know that like craig's experience is the experience of some black kids like just living in the suburbs doing kid stuff <laughs> That's yeah <it. laughs> it doesn't always have to be i gotta get out of the hood and escape all of the bad things or uh, police brutality like that's real but we don't yes. want to relive that on screen <laughs> right over and over, over, and, over and over again <laughs> and more but more importantly our experience is broader than that right. that's really the point it's not to push aside any particular aspect but just that we are richer than that particular kind of story and it's funny when you said that about um kid in the suburbs. And all I think about is them going to the creek all the time. And I remember that my husband who grew up in the Bronx, that I guess he was in the North Bronx. And I guess, you know, there were parts of it that were still undeveloped. Mm. Oh, wow. And so he and his brothers would go play in this, this, I, I think he calls it the swamp. But, (laughs) but, you know, for them, it's like they're being adventurers and they're out there and they're probably, you know, fighting with sticks and who knows, you know, but it was like they were on an adventure and they're city boys, you know what I mean? So it, uh, it, it just, it's just that I'm happy that we're at a point where we can really, really broaden out the stories we're telling. Yeah, like um, Waymond and I were we were talking about how like it's really cool to see um, like Craig exists and you know like the like Proud's coming back and then yes. and then um, Kiko and the yeah, Asian Wonder Beast yeah, yes. so my dad's bounty hunter oh, at Netflix. Mm-hmm. That's that's about to happen. Moon Girl's about to happen. Like, yeah. there's so many different types of black stories. Boondocks for the adults, like that's coming. Back. Right. Yeah. So there's right. Like different. There's different types that are happening, and yes. like we're like, okay, thank thank God. Like, okay, let's keep let's keep doing more though. Like, give me give me my Black Lord of the Rings. Give me my Black like adventures. And exactly. It's like, yes. I want more. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Here, here. Yeah, I feel like that. It's so interesting because uh, this w- was one of my questions <laughs> I had was uh, was what what is your opinion on like the current state of the animation industry? And I feel like this is kind of diving into that a little mm. bit. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, um, yeah, because because you've been you've been in this industry for much longer than both of us. So just mm-hmm. like you know, from your time starting back in back in the nineties till to like now, like you've you've seen it change and like shift so much. Yeah, it's um you know on and and obviously on the larger level of the whole industry. And um I think one of the really good things that has been evolving is for lack of a better way to say it, like a black mafia, that we as black people are looking out to get each other in. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, um, and we've seen that with other groups along the way. And and maybe because there were so few of us and, 
you know, whatever. I don't, I don't know what all the reasons are. And, and also getting into the positions where you can do that. Mm. Yeah. Which does remind me that I'm sure it, somebody must have done it since Bebe's kids, but on Bebe's kids, uh, for most of the show, I had, it was an all black female editing team. What? <laughs> what? You're killed. Oh <laughs> Both of my assistants were black women. And okay, okay. Yeah. So uh, one was Angela Robinson, who now is no longer in the industry mm. and the other woman's name is Armetta Hamlet. And I haven't talked Armetta. to her in wow. a long time. So mm. you guys can try to track her down. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, and, and, and that was, you know, I'll say that was semi-conscious. It was almost like at some point, you know, it's like you look around and go, Oh my God, look at this. You know, yeah. we're all black women here. So it it's making that happen. I, I actually remember not animation related, but related to that idea of helping ourselves. Uh, my husband was actually, he's an editor in live action uh, dramatic television. Mm. And he went in, this is years ago, could be 20 years ago. He went in for an interview with a, uh, a black director. And when my husband walked in, the director said, wow, I don't think I've ever met a black editor before. And I, when, when I heard that story, all I thought was, why weren't you looking for him? Mm. Mm. Mm -hmm. So that's my point is now I think we look for each other. Yeah. yeah. And it, we feel somehow more empowered to do that. It's crazy. Like I, <laughs> to talk about proud a little bit, like I, cause we have black editors, like all three of our editors are black. And when I started, I was just like, I have never seen a black editor before. Wow. Or heard of any black editors in this right. industry. Like, cause I was on a show previously, a Disney Junior show, and all the like, I mean the good people and everything, but like all the editors were white. Like on on all the shows. Right. On all all shows at the studio I was at. I was at a third party studio. So just coming on proud, I was just like, Where oh my what? god. I was like, yeah. whoa, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> like and i'm like wait we're we're but we need more and like yeah. I, there's like a young black woman that um that we know who's a uh editor over at dreamworks and i'm like okay so that's four black editors i know there are yes there's a um an editor um uh margaret um johnson holzendorf oh somebody I'm else so for you sad. guys i'm so sad that i just we don't know we, we need to yeah we have to find each other <laughs> yeah and you know a, a part of it is especially you know in some roles like editors 
they're not out in the public. So it's just right. a name. And so we don't know, are they black or white? In fact, I think it was uh, last year. What was I? I don't know. Maybe maybe it was an obituary. I don't remember. But um, I believe it's the movie Midnight Cowboy, mm -hmm. I think, was edited by a black man. And I never knew that. And I saw that movie in its first run. And I never knew that. Now, that's not surprising because editors don't get that kind of light shined on them. But I was like, oh, my God. I mean, that was an Oscar-nominated movie. Yeah. Yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? So and so... Yeah. So there have been black editors. There's there's others. I can't think of their names right now. There have been they've been out there by themselves, inching, you know, who are now some are probably deceased because they started way back. But we didn't know, you know, even that when you think about without the internet and even and even it's only still only in in uh, more recent times that you could put in, say, maybe you can put in black film editors and you'd start to find some names. Um, mm. You know what I mean? It's like before there was an internet, how would you have tried to come up with a list of black whoever, black um, camera right. people, you know, mm -hmm. it would would have been, you know, um, until those one, you, you gather together as a little group, but you mm -hmm. wouldn't have had anywhere to let people know you're out there. Right. Especially because everybody internet. like this, because this industry is so like name based. So like people are always going to go to like their friends. And if your circle of friends is just a bunch of white dudes all the time. Right. You're yeah. not going to, I mean, I'm not excusing it. I'm just saying like, if your circle of friends is just, if you're a white dude and your circle of friends is white dudes, then you're going to keep hiring white dudes. And right. it's like, you got to yeah. stop doing that. You have yeah. to reach out and like look to, for people. You have to make a deliberate effort. Um, yeah. And, you know, certainly the internet helps to communicate information as well as, I, I'm not sure how to say this, but it's an evolution that, I mean, I remember when I started putting on my resume, like that I was a member of, uh, like their, the, the Hudlands had, what was it? Um, Black Filmmakers Foundation. I remember the, it mm. was like BFF were, were the initials. And I put that on my resume as a way to say, I'm a black person. Right. Because otherwise, how do you know that from just my resume with no picture on it or anything? How do you know? And if I want you to know that, I feel like now that's that we we've we're celebrating it now. Right. Like yeah. we're not like nervous about people knowing until we walk into the interview. <laughs> Cause it's like, <laughs> it's so hard to get, it's, it's so hard to like, you know, get in the room, you yeah. know, it's so hard. Yeah. And 
sometimes people are biased or whatever and they're like or or being blatantly racist and they're like i don't want to hire somebody that's that's black or whatever and they they're like i'm gonna throw that resume out the door but now like we're like you said we're celebrating but um it's there's a part of me that also feels like it's like bittersweet celebration because like because of everything that happened last year in particular and like how the the world has been shifting to just be more aware of like the representation and whatnot on screen and in the workplace. And it feels like it's bittersweet. Cause it's like, you know, people don't and like, we know this, like our people have been being been brutalized for, for like forever. And, and everybody else, everybody else is like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't know. And it's like, we've been trying to tell you. We've been trying to tell you what you do it. What do you mean? You didn't know. Yeah. And it's like, now that they're like, Oh no, we didn't know. We're so sorry. Now they're trying to like celebrate it. And we're like, okay, but. Yeah. It's I like a G thanks. Also, <laughs> I think it's also, I, I don't, I don't know the right way to say it, but. I'll call it a um, a sophistication, uh, uh, an expansion of understanding mm-hmm. that there is money to be made off of people of color. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So why aren't we providing entertainment to those people so we can get that money? Yeah. Right? So yeah. It, it's a... And and then you have the pressure of, um, you know, in summing it up as Black Lives Matter, you have that pressure of, um, uh, uh, again, those businesses wanting to be on the right side of this because there's money to be made by providing entertainment to Black people. And now you that nexus of that, along with a, 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 a different kind of expression of what of self worth, self confidence. I'm not sure what the right words are that mm-hmm. we are expressing. That's mm-hmm. that's um, different from how we expressed it in the '70s, but kind of a you know a, another layer of what was expressed in the 70s that um but now the 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 dominant group especially in businesses have become sensitive enough to realize the value on multiple levels you know, because because it does go into their corporate structures and et cetera, right? That um, it, it, the the presence of us um, is expanding, and and right. therefore with it, the voice in the room is is not um, a, a monoculture, and so you know it inches open, and uh, mm. and here we are. Yeah. So it's yeah. So I, I I agree. It's like you know, almost like what took so long, but right. <laughs> but it's also like, thank God. Mm-hmm. Thank yeah. God we're here. 
because it also uh, it's a force for for change in that the more people you know entertainment is such a great for lack of a better word um uh, educational tool so mm-hmm. by seeing more by seeing Craig of the Creek your your um uh, uh the way you look at a, at black kids might shift a little bit right because he yeah, doesn't like not, fit your stereotype yeah right. like you're not gonna think that like black kids are like i don't know i'm trying to think of like a random thing where people i don't know like you're not you're not thinking that black kids are just uh, constantly uh, robbing stores yeah, like or just like being on the streets or putting <laughs> right. yeah. or that like everything to, else that that's stereotyped to... in media about black kids. Exactly. You know, so, so by opening up the stories we, that we tell, we, we get to express, you know, that um, we're not that thing you think we are. Yeah. Mm. And I think it's you important don't too have because to, it's like you don't have to cross the street when we're coming the other direction, right? And <laughs> it's important too because it's it's not only um like other people that are seeing these stories that are or you're not you're developing a different idea of a, a type of person, uh, but the the black kids too that are seeing uh, these stories that are being told, and it's like it's like showing a different way of being yourself a little bit you know it's like yeah being okay to be yourself if that exactly. is like like if you like if you act like craig and you're black it's like that's normal or right. if you act like uh, i don't know if you act like penny proud and you're like oh that's normal or right. if you act like uh i don't know the, the little kid in motown magic and you love music like that's normal <laughs> right mm. yeah, right exactly. exactly and it's like there's all these different versions of normal and we don't have to just fit into one little box, you know, and uh, and I think that's happening for all the different groups within the people of color umbrella, you know, mm. that that now we get to we we get that um, bigger view of all these all these other groups that we're not a part of, you know, right. that we get to learn about their worlds. But, but like you said, in some ways, the most important is within your own culture that kids, especially for us as people who work in, in um, programming for children, that we're validating and also expanding how they see the, the opportunities open to them. Right. So, you know, like working on Super Sema that, um, you know, here's a girl who uh, sees herself as a superhero. And um, and even though she works in a very real world, I'll call it, in, like she she's not a superhero uh, like um, uh, Superman or something. She's a she's using technology. She's using STEM to That's defeat awesome. her bad guy, right? The bad guy is the king of her of her um, country, and he's a robot. So and so she represents the humanity, but she also represents that she has the ability 
to take, she and her brother have the ability to take all these tech ideas and put them to use to defeat the bad guy every episode. So that just one opens up for for black girls that, you know, I could, I, I like science, I like technology, you know, or maybe I'm intimidated by it and this helps to break that intimidation. Oh man, I wish that more people knew about Super Sema because I hadn't heard of it until you just wa watched it or, or t until you just brought it up. And now I'm like, okay, we need to pr promote this show. We <laughs> 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 need to be like, go watch it right now, everybody. Put your kids in front of this. It's cute, it's adorable, love it. It'll get out there. It's gonna get out there bigger and bigger yes Lynn, i kind of want to go back a little bit and mm -hmm. sort of talk about uh yourself and just more about your journey in this industry so like after you know like after you um came off of baby's kids kind of like how did your like where did your path go from there um well before i talk about that i i want to tell you about how I ended up coming here in the first place. Yes. Because I think it's important on the, on the dream level. I, I got a, a, a degree in comparative literature, not knowing what I would do with that because I wasn't interested in teaching, but I love mm -hmm. languages and I love uh, reading stories. And I like the, the international aspect of that, which is what, what, what makes it comparative literature versus English lit, say. Um, mm -hmm. But I didn't know what I would do. And so after I finished school, you know, I'm just kind of bouncing around and I worked as a waitress. I'm from Philadelphia and I, I went back to Philly and worked as a waitress. And at some point I gave myself, I realized I had been back there like a year or a year and a half. And I thought, I'm going to snap my fingers and it's going to be 10 years. I have got to go. And I didn't know what that meant. And um, a girlfriend of mine just happened to mention that she had a girlfriend who was an astrologer. And so I was like, oh, okay, let me, let, let me have her do my chart and stuff. And so uh, when we got together for her to talk me through the chart, she told me that I was a creative person, but I was in denial. Oh. Oh, wow. And I, I can't, I mean, I just got goosebumps telling that, that when she said that, I felt like someone had pulled a cowl off of my head and I could see the world. She's like, wake up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> wake up, girl. So, um, so then I, you know, I, and again, I'm on this path that I've got to, I've got to get out of Philly uh, by June. And I think I met this woman in say January, February. And so then I thought, that's it. I'm going to go be in the film business which was something that had always been lurking in the back of my head, but I, you know, I just kept pushing it away. And, uh, and I decided to come to LA because of course it's the center, but I could have gone to New York, but New York wasn't as, um, the business wasn't as developed as it is now there. 
So I thought it made more sense to come to LA. Um, so that's what I did. And, uh, and, I, and I decided that I would become a film editor because I liked photography mm-hmm. and I felt like editing is kind of like film is, you know, like a bunch of stills lined up together. So it somehow for me, that made sense. Right. And I also felt like I, I wouldn't do well yeah. <laughs> on a set. Like the busyness of that might be overwhelming. Oh yeah. Oh no. <laughs> Twelve and hour I like, days, no sleep. <laughs> well, that happens in editing, but um, oh. but I like I like the call intimacy. I like the intimacy of editing because you're working directly with the director, you know, or the producer. Um, so yeah, so I, I wanted to tell that because um, I I think it's important to um, listen to your heart and follow your dreams and not let people talk you away from them. Now, the people listening to this, are, are pro- they're probably oh, on yes. that journey already. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. even when you're on it, you can become discouraged. And, mm-hmm. you know, so that's why I think it's important to, to kind of follow it's your gut, but you know what I mean? It's a little, it's really more your heart. Um, and even when I became, when I, uh, graduated, uh, in comparative literature, that degree happened because I went and I just took classes I wanted to take. And then when I sat down and had to declare my major, I didn't know what I was. And I'm literally going through the catalog and I came to comparative literature and I went, oh my God, oh my God, that's me. <laughs> so I had mm-hmm. let my interests drive me, not the other way around. Right. And so I, I just feel like it's really yes. important to go, go after what <laughs> makes you feel yes. joy. No, it's so, so true. Um, I feel like so many... Yeah, you make me tear up. <laughs> you make me tear <laughs> up in this podcast. <laughs> so, so no, anyway, I'm, then... I'm literally going through this right now with like what I want to do because I kind of want to pursue yeah. art, even though I'm a coordinator, and I'm just yeah. like, uh, yes. where, what am I? Yeah. Who am I? <laughs> you know who you are. <laughs> so you're you're just wrangling with, you know, what's practical and what's what, and you know figure it out and go for it. And, and, and especially because when you're younger, you have more flexibility, right? Right. As as you get older, you're, you're, you probably, Mm -hmm. you know, let's say the, the standard, you know, life, you end up with a partner, you have children, you suddenly life, you, you buy a house, you, it, then things get more cumbersome to turn. Mm which doesn't mean you still shouldn't make the turn. It's just that it's more cumbersome. So when you have um, less, I'll call it responsibility, is a good time to make turns, you know? But but in terms of uh, after after the the fairy tales, um, I, I did a short stint 
at DreamWorks in the early years. I worked on, um, oh, I can't even think of the name of it right now. The, 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 <laughs> Bree's favorite the, movie, Road to El Dorado. <laughs> the two Spaniards. Um, <laughs> yeah. El Dorado? El Dorado. <laughs> I worked on El Dorado um, for, a, for a very short time. That's still cool. And you touched it. Ah. I touched it. I touched it. Um, and um, and then I went to Disney, and I was at the Disney. Um, uh, well, what when I went there, it was still TV animation. And then while I was there, TV and the direct-to-video group kind of split. They were mm. still under the same umbrella, but they had, they were... Um, yeah, I was going to ask, it was that Disney they, Toons? They, yeah. Well, maybe then it all became Disney Toon Studios, I guess. But... Mm. So it, it became Disney Toon Studios. It, when I went there, it was uh, TV animation. And then it became uh, Disney Toons. And I was on the direct-to-video right. side, which is yes. I came when I went there, I did the uh, sequel to Goofy Movies. Yes. <gasps> um, yes. Extremely Goofy yeah. Movie, the skateboarding one. Oh man, that's a good one. Very <laughs> fun. That, that's a fun one. I like that that's one a, a lot. That's a really fun one. And uh, um, yeah, it was a, a, a lot of fun to work on. Um, and the director uh, was um, a really gregarious, uh, fun guy. Great was that Douglas? Uh, yes. And um, and then I was I stayed at Disney for a little bit. I, I did a little bit of producing on the sequel to Hunchback and mm. uh, just a short time to get them over a hump. I forget what was going on. Yes. And uh, and then I got the opportunity <laughs> to co-direct uh, Mulan 2. Um, yeah. I like Mulan 2. <laughs> yeah. Um, interesting interesting journey you know i hadn't directed but um the head of the studio at the time uh sharon morrill uh she and i had worked really closely together on the story for extremely goofy movie because you know how that process is you you, mm -hmm. you put it up it's different than tv where you've got to keep the things going fast 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 right we would mount the movie and then see all the issues and have to figure out how to solve those issues. So you so, mean like the boards you would mount or just Yeah, we would we would um you know create an animatic of the boards mm. and then you could really see like what was in okay you had a script but how does that script really play? And um and you see the pitfalls and then you have to try to what can you um, what can you do to bolster the weaknesses? Sometimes it's like, oh my God, this isn't working. <laughs> Throw it out and start all over again. And this is part of why the the features, you know, take a long time because they are giving that kind of attention to it. Right. Um, 
in the in the uh, direct to video we didn't have those kinds of budgets so we were on a tighter schedule but we still had maybe uh two two and a half years oh yes, okay so yeah like that, that that's a lot shorter than um mm-hmm. like like the big Disney yeah that might take stuff. that might take you know whatever four to eight years you know to go through the whole process so it was in that in that experience that Sharon felt like she could see that I had that visual eye and offered me the chance to uh, co-direct. So, and we, and I think that took about two and a half to three years. And uh, yeah, then, you know, it's, it's just been bopping around. I was at, there was a, 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 a company called Imagi that was out of Hong Kong mm. that um, uh, had big dreams, but it kind of ended up falling apart. But they did produce, um, was it Astro Boy? They did a, oh. and I did not work on that, but that was, that was the, they had done, uh, they did a remake of uh, the Teenage mutant what is it teenage mutant ninja turtles that was their first movie and then their second movie was astro boy and they i was working on one that was an adaptation of a um of a japanese anime called gotcha man but uh that one ended up not getting finished and then it's you know it's been uh i did a stint at mattel I worked on the Monster High brand um, mm. and yeah, and actually got to my cousins uh, like those toys. <laughs> yeah. And I got to create really what was ended up being their last big series for that brand uh, called. Um, oh, why am I going blank all the time? Um, uh, Adventures of the Ghoul Adventures of the Ghoul Squad. Oh, OK, OK. Um, which was very fun. The the girls would go out to find other hidden monsters and bring them back to the high school. Um, so that was fun. And yes, and then I I launched the um, the first uh, animation content for uh, the Enchantables brand, um, which was also very fun because it. Uh, you know, you're starting with nothing and you get to build it. So yeah, really great to bring those characters to life. And then you've been around the block and back and up <laughs> yes. and down. Up and, and down and, and all I'm, around. And, and, and I feel more people need to know who you are. I mean, I'm sure people <laughs> do, but like, I feel like our listeners, like, I'm glad that like our listeners are like learning more about you and like your journey and what you've done. Like, that's amazing. Thank you. Yeah, it's like, it's really cool to hear about like your your perspective and your journey and just like what you've uh, been able to bring uh, to animation. And it's, it's so cool to be able to like uh, bring, like go into development of like uh, an idea too. Like that is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, um, I, I did always know that I wanted to be on the creative side of 
the business. And, um, and even though I have done, you know, been a line producer, um, it, it, it kind of was the same as when I was an assistant editor, because as an assistant, of course, I'm focused on, you know, making sure things are getting where they need to be, you know, and coordinating this and, you know, those kinds of things. But for me, it was always about, like, say, when I worked on in live action as an assistant editor, my goal was to get sync the dailies as quickly as possible on film so I could get in the editing room and sit and watch my editor work because I wanted to learn about that creative stuff. So it's like, how quickly can I get my logistical work done? Because I want to know about the creative. So that's kind of always been driving my career. Yes, yes. yes. I was just going to say, did I lose you guys? Yeah. That, yeah, it's, it's kind of incredible. Like, yeah, once you're, you know, in uh, the industry too, like, I mean, as your career shows, like you don't, have to like stay in a singular position and when you you are in that studio environment you can learn from like other positions and learn from that community that kind of like grows within the studio you know and just figure out the the other aspects and how you can grow and uh what you can do to continue to like bring yourself to animation yeah because yeah um when you start especially like right now like um it's very i mean i don't want to say stay in your lane but yes it is very like you know production you do production editors you know you do that and like artists you you go over here and people don't really talk about how like once you get in you can you know transition or move laterally or go up and then to the side and back if you want like i know a director um Mm -hmm. she she was directing for a while and then she's like i just want to be a revisionist because i'm tired i'm gonna like chill for like a year or two (laughs) so it's like people forget that you can Mm -hmm. do that once you get in and like you're able to sort of be like yeah okay i can switch stuff up you know and and i think i mean it 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 is challenging. It, yeah, it's challenging. You know, because uh, like you said, people want you to stay in your lane, which is interesting in that we're in this creative space. So if someone is, is letting you know that they're interested in some some other aspect, you know, is there a way for them to demonstrate that, that, um, doesn't hinder whatever their responsibilities are to you, right? Like, so I'm a coordinator and that's what I do and I get my job done, but I'm really interested in this over here, you know, so do I, you know, it's kind of like writers, right? They they will write spec scripts to show that they're a writer and to show, let's say that they can write for the show they're on, right? I'm I'm a coordinator, but I know how this show works and I can prove it. I took my own time to write a script so that you can see I'm really good at this. And then maybe it's, you know, so then maybe I, can I be the, um, the coordinator in the writer's room so I can keep expanding that, right? Like how do I, how do I get people to, to, um, 
give me that shot, you obviously have to do some work. And part of that work is just one, believing in yourself, but, um, but then how can I demonstrate that? So, you know, it's not just like, well, I want that, so make it happen. You need to help make it happen. Um, my husband is a big, big mentor uh, of other editors and uh, really focuses on helping his assistants move up into, into the chair. And, um, and one of the things I, I hear him say when we're talking about it is getting that assistant to see themselves as an editor and to do, to find ways to demonstrate it. So he helps them by, he always uh, has his assistants cut some scenes in at least one episode uh, of, of a particular series so that they can, and then he gives them their props when he's working with the producers and the director, right? That he'll say, blah, 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 cut that scene. Now, he doesn't throw them under the bus if the scenes, if they don't like the scene, then he doesn't, he just doesn't say anything. But if they really like it, then it's like, oh, you know, blah, blah did that because that helps them get credibility with the producers. So he's helping them, but they're doing the work of coming in on a Saturday, not being paid to do that, to show I, I can do this. Um, so, but it is, it is challenging to get people to, uh, to give you, um, opportunities outside of the lane they expect you to be in right right you really got to be loud and about like what you want to do and, and make sure they don't like sleep on your ability to be like hey i can do this thing over here too like yeah. i'm interested yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like that path of trying to find someone to like uh advocate for you and not only right. mentor you but advocate for you and say oh yeah this person right. can do this thing uh and yeah just uh and that's so important because it's like uh, it, yeah, it gives the the per it gives the beginner the insight that hey, they can do this, and you have people that are rooting for you in this, and yeah, the, it, you it, have the support system. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Which actually just reminded me of a another a beginner story that um uh before Sony was where they are in Culver City. That was the Lorimar lot, uh, which of course before that had been MGM, but in the Lorimar days, which is the um, uh, the show Dallas and Knott's Landing, you're probably too young to know those shows, um, but they were big, big, big TV shows. Um, we're, we're still on film. Mm. And there were there was an apprentice, there was what they called the shipping room at Lorimar, and it was where apprentice editors, so you're really just like PAs, would move film around. So, oh, there's going to be a screening over there, and we would get on these giant tricycles and draw these cans of film and deliver them. 
And we would also, you know, in order to uh, keep track of film footage, you have to code it. You had to put numbers along the side of the film so that you could reconstruct it when you needed to. Mm. So we would do that as well. We would we would code the film. So anyway, um, I had been the union was closed then. It was very hard to get into the editor's guild. Um, and finally, I got an opportunity. I had been here eight years and could not get in. And uh, I knew a woman who was a music editor at on Dallas. And she called me one day and said, this might be your shot. There's a lot of people working. And um, uh, the guy, kind of the... the the head of this post-production stuff, um, he's looking for women. And I ended up getting hired. Mm-hmm. And 30 days later, I'm in the union. But when Whoa. I got there, I uh, I met my husband. Aww. I met a, a dear friend of ours who is uh, a Mexican-American. Mm. Um, I met a couple other women, um, and what I realized was this guy who was British, he had an agenda to diversify post-production. And so he was bringing in non-white, non-male people. We love to see it. That's yes. what we need. That's what we need. Yeah. <laughs> and um, editorial too. Like yeah. editorial is just very a, a male dominated area. Well, I guess it's shifting now. Um, I don't yeah. remember who I spoke to, but someone told me that like um a lot of the TDs at their studio are women, and I was like, oh, really? That's that's dope. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, I always every so often, uh, my husband and I talk about that, that Matthew Knox, you know, he really, he certainly changed our lives uh, by having an agenda to do that. And we got the, we reap the benefits of that. Um, So uh, just another, uh, another way that, you know, that was like a little baby step of the door opening slightly. Yeah, um, I, I think yeah. I think that like speaks to um, the people who are, you know, that are like our white allies that are listening to this podcast and whatnot. And just how like, you know, you know, using that privilege that you have to open the door, because like, as I mentioned earlier, like sometimes it's like hard for us to like get in the room. Like, yes. And, and, and not that like we need a handout or anything. It's more so like if you are aware of the space that you're in and you're looking around and you're and it's all white or all male and you're like wait a minute, use that opportunity to open the door a little bit and to reach out and to use that privilege that you have. Because a lot of people just sit on it and don't do nothing. They're like, well, I can't find anybody. And it's like, well, make the effort to do so. Right. Yeah. How hard did you look? Yeah. (laughs) You have the tools. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Especially now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. Like in the internet, like there's databases. Like, like we have a like Black and Animated. We have a database. Um, mm-hmm. There's the Drawing While Black database. Latinx and Animation has a database. I think Wea has like a database too. Mm-hmm. And yes. um, 
and I know somebody um, is working on a database, uh, you know, for people who are queer in the industry as well. They're like, so that right. you're not getting, so like, there's, there are, there are tools and it's, it's yeah. not, like, there's not really a lot of excuses of like, oh, I can't find anybody. I can't like, find you can. Exactly. You can find somebody. Like, yes, come on. Can. Come on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But um, yeah. I wanted to say, Lynn, though, that like, we are kind of we're at time and like i we want yeah. to keep talking to you like there's so much but we're yeah. at time but like oh, absolutely like, that's been great like gosh just like hearing everything you have to say is like so inspiring yeah. and like, we love it <laughs> but i guess wayman do you want to take us out with well i guess you already said it earlier I your question that feel, you like to end on yeah i feel like <laughs> do you have a backup question that you like to um <laughs> Well, okay. I feel like whenever I, I I do have this this question that I like to end the podcast with, um, and I feel like it's been kind of gone over. But I feel like usually when I do ask the question, there's more that could be said. So I am gonna ask my my end question. Um, but uh, my my end question is, what are the type of stories you want to be told more in animation? What type of stories do you want to see more of in animation? You know, um, I'm a big fan of magic realism, so I I would like to see more of that. And that's more in, in the film, you know, movie experience. Um, uh, but I would like to, uh, in, in terms of my blackness, I'd like to just see more and more expression of us um showing how wide a, a world we are how how big the diaspora is in terms mm. of how we think that you know I, i'm a violinist i'm a you know whatever in in it, i almost bristle when when i feel like oh well this is just another ha- rehash of the same old you know where where I'm a musician, I'm a you know what are the, the the silos we've been stuck in, even though we're great at those things, but we're we're you know I think that's why I like Super Sama right she's she's a a techie black girl you know, um, so I want to see more of that. Um, I I'd like to see more stories about um biracialness mm-hmm. one because i feel like we we as black people you know we 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 are in so many ways we are biracial whether it was by choice or not um and um i'd like us to feel comfortable to embrace that so i'd like to see stories i actually wrote a novel about uh a biracial girl because it, 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 one, you people, you know, it's kind of like Obama, you've got your foot in two different worlds. And there are stories in there. Right. I know there are. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, that, um, yeah, hmm, I, uh, I'm, I'm, 
I'm wide open. I'm I I get excited. You want it all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, give, just, give, just give me all of it. <laughs> give me all of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm um, partnered with different creators on some projects, and they're they're extremely diverse. Mm-hmm. You know, so it it I I have a um I guess a big appetite. Yeah, and it's and that's good. I feel like it's it's kind of incredible too to see like just the uh divert like the the amount of ways uh animated storytelling can be told too. Like it's no longer just like uh the immediate thought of like TV or film. Like there's games, there's uh like the like streaming, like the way it can be formatted is so different and it's just in- incredible the amount of uh, different ways a story can be told and absolutely yeah give it give it all give me a story about a black gamer i yeah. like video games <laughs> right mm-hmm. exactly yeah, yeah why not <laughs> it's coming yes maybe, maybe you'll write it yeah I'll put on the spot now i, now I, gotta, now I have to do it <laughs> where, where is it <laughs> now i have to <laughs> Well, oh, thank you so much. Yes. And like, this was amazing this and really um, wonderful. And I hope that um, our listeners glean just a lot of like inspiration and words of wisdom and just learned, just learned a whole lot. And um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Way, is there anything else we need to go out on? Like, sing a song? Um, do you, <laughs> is there, uh, if you want to be found on? Is there any way you can be? If you want to be found, yeah, I know it sounds so weird. But uh, is there any way that uh, do you want to be reached? And if so, how can people like reach you or find you online, or find out more Uh, about you online? Um, a good place to find out about me online would be um my website, which is um. Oh my God, guys, my brain is so wacky today. It's called uh, Showing Up um, A Writer's Life. And uh, that's at showingup.net. And then if you want to reach me, you can reach me at storymaven at icloud.com. And that is spelled S T O. O what S T O R E E M A V E N at iCloud. And we will have that link provided for folks in case they didn't catch it. Um Great. but yeah, thank thank you so much, Lynn. Like this was amazing. Thank you guys. Really enjoyed it. And maybe when we can be out and about again, we can uh, meet up for a coffee or something. Oh yes, yes please. Yeah. I'm so tired of quarantine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm tired of it, but like I want people to like get their vaccine, please. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So we can Exactly. Absolutely. Please. Soon. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay, guys. Bye. Take care. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the podcast. As always, be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Black and Animated. And listen for more episodes on blackandanimated.podbean.com and on Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Apple Podcasts. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are the respective individual and do not reflect the views of our employers. Thanks, guys. Until next time.
This episode was edited by Tyler Schlossman with music by Ergo Funk.